Michael Casey, let's talk movies. Ongoing strikes with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA are continuing to cripple the movie industry. And I thought this would be a really great opportunity to talk about our favorite films about strikes and unions, as well as some feature films from some of the leadership of SAG-AFTRA. Yeah, I mean, the timing here is perfect because, like you said, like the industry is kind of brought to a standstill. There's not any production going on. There are a couple of instances where studios like A24 have agreed to the demands of both WGA and SAG-AFTRA, so they're allowed to continue to work. But also the promotion of these movies has been hindered significantly because a lot of the talent is prohibited from going out and doing press junkets and going to festivals. And there are some you know, obviously some exceptions to every rule, but it has really turned the fall season in time of a dour affair because not only are they not making anything, they're not talking about anything, but there's this real uncertainty of what the future of movies are going to be like because one of the biggest sticking points on both ends of the contract has to do with AI and how much generative uh, AI use can be used in the creation of these movies in whether it's the actors on screen or whether it is the scripts being written, it's it's kind of, it's very unnerving. The biggest punching bag right now is Netflix in a way that they've used both the pandemic and um, AI as a way to skirt a lot of the previous union agreements. I don't want to weigh in too much about some of this stuff because I don't have, I'm not uh, involved in either of the unions. And so there's a lot of sticking points where I'm not 100% sure how to work on. But what's fascinating to me is how big of a, unions have been in American industry, particularly in the 20th century, and how little they're represented on screen. Now, I mean, if you think about union movies, I think someone's kind of bubbled to the top. Uh, Norma Ray with, you know, the the holding of the sign union that that gets played at every clip show at like the Oscars sort of thing. On the Waterfront is another one that revolves around the unions. There's a lot of unions as kind of evil, like whether it's Blue Collar, that was Paul Schrader's movie, that was about the car union. But there's not a whole lot that actually ends up in the mainstream movies. And one of the reasons for that is how movies are brought to us. So primarily through theaters. So if you're thinking of theatrical distribution, theaters make their money primarily through concessions. So even though we had a lot of labor-minded movies that were made in the 20s and the 30s, especially the Works Project Association, that did not continue forth because... We don't want to go and be entertained by watching people labor. Um, I spoke with Cynthia Barron. She wrote a book called Appetites and Anxieties a few years ago for a piece I was working about how food is represented in movies. And she was talking about how a lot of the depictions of labor on screen has been exercised from mainstream movies simply for that reason. That if you are going in there and you are going to buy yourself a bucket of popcorn and get yourself a big soda, that watching people on screen work till the field, work in slaughterhouses, work on like, you know, in very bad uh, environments, coal mines, factories, that that's not exactly going to be the kind of thing that most people are going to sign up for. So we've moved a lot of that off the screen so that there's a lot of, you know, things that just magically happen off screen while we're sitting there drinking our Cokes or chopping on our popcorn. And I th- I've never heard it put quite so succinctly when I talked to her about it. And it's something I think about a lot now when I watch movies is about the labor that is actually depicted on screen 
And how is that used? So if you think of a movie like The Pajama Game from the 60s, that's about unionizing. Uh, it is a musical. It's got some great dance numbers. It's got Doris Day in there. But again, you're you're talking about like they're talking about their their working conditions in this factory, in this textile factory. But it is still candy coated. You know, everyone's hair is in the right place. Like it doesn't look like people are actually working there, as opposed to say a movie like uh, Roger and Me which is Michael Moore's first film, a documentary that he made about the shuttering of GM plants in Flint, Michigan, and about the automobile union industry. And you get a much different picture of what you see there. So it is, I think one of the reasons that there is a lot of, uh, let's say, hesitation to pick a side for people who just watch movies on whether they're with the writers and the actors, or if they're with the studios and they just want their movies, they just want their content, and it's, I think that a lot of that comes down to how we just depict things on screen. If you don't see people working all the time, you just assume that these things are just made and that just, they just kind of appear. Um, you don't think about working conditions so much. I think probably the biggest force we have right now for discussing working conditions and relationships between labor and management is probably in professional sports, um, specifically the NFL, because that is something that has made a lot of noise in the past decade about how people are paid out and how those contracts are treated and how some of those players are used. That's a little tiny way into uh, what's going on on a bigger sense, but it is, it's an interesting time to be a movie fan right now, to think about what's gonna come out of this and where, where do we want our allegiances to lie? And actually, and you brought up a funny point, just the other day we were talking about it, it's like there are a lot of presidents of SAG uh, that, you know, they they go on and they have all these, they're all actors. Uh, so they have these kind of oddball things in their careers. You know, one of the most famous presidents of SAG-AFTRA, or just SAG at the time, is Ronald Reagan. Um, because he went on to be the governor of California and then the president. And um, he was the president of SAG twice in the 40s, the 50s, and then his last term was up in the 60s. He was mainly, you know him mostly as, if you've seen his movies as a B actor, his biggest role was probably in King's Row, that's where he's got the line of where's the rest of me when he when he comes out of the operating table and he's been amputated. But he did have one role that I hold very dear in my heart uh, because it is the only time he played a villain and it was The Killers. Don Siegel made this movie in the late 60s for television, but they determined it was too violent. So they put it in theaters. It was Ronald Reagan's last role. It was the only time he ever played a villain. And he played it just a little too well, if you ask me. He feels very natural in this role. It's really interesting to go back and look at some of these filmographies of some of the people who have been the president. You actually were telling me that one of your favorite movies is in the, uh, the wheelhouse of our current president, who is Fran Drescher. Yes, indeed. Fran Drescher has a few uh, films that I really enjoy on the, the big screen, but of course, my absolute favorite has to be the Weird Al classic from the 80s, UHF. Um, I absolutely love this film. Of course, it has um, big hitters like um, Michael Richards before Michael Richards was uh, was canceled. And it's, uh, it's just imbued with wackiness. And I believe this was a premier role for Fran Drescher. And it's, it's it's one of my favorite films just for its wackiness, but also emblematic that um, we have these really um, wacky stars who go on and do some really important things. Yeah, I mean, one of my uh, personal favorites uh, is Ed Asner. Ed was Ed was the president of SAG uh, in the 80s. Um, and you probably know him as the voice of Carl in the movie Up. He also played Santa Claus in Elf. But for me, he will always be Lou Grant, Mary Tyler Moore's suffering boss on the TV show that I, that was when I was a kid, 
that was the show that was playing on Nick at night. Like they, like they play friends right now. And I just loved Lou's just constant exasperation, which I imagine served him very well when he was serving as the president of SAG. He could just stare at you when you said something stupid in a way that just made you feel like you were the dumbest person on the planet. Ed was great at that. And I, I mean, like, if I if I could have served under any of the presidents, it definitely would have been old Ed. Although I will say Fran Drescher as a leader who is really drawing a line for people not to cross the picket line has been really important to make sure that uh, uh, the, the strike goes on and, and folks are able to fight for their rights. Yeah, and it's, it's been very effective. There was a there was a quick blip where I believe Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher and I think a couple other talk show personalities were considering going back to work and breaking the strike. Um, but the sentiment was against them and they're going to they're going to hold the line, as they say. So the, the strike will go on. The, there have been talks every now and then, but they don't seem to be gaining any ground. This will probably stretch on into winter, uh, which isn't great for anybody. That is le- least of all the people who are below the line craftspeople who are working in this industry who can't work right now because nothing's going on. If you can and you want to help out. Uh, there is the Entertainment Community Fund. It is a way, it is basically a pooling resource for the people to donate money so that they go out to craft service and people who do props and do costumes and makeups and all the people who aren't on strike but also not working at the same time. Other than that, we've got a lot of great movies that you can still watch um, and hopefully we can we can come to an agreement at some point and just move on. Well, Michael Casey, for more information about you, for your reviews, where can people go? Uh, you can go to boulderweekly.com. It's online. If you're in the pa- in the county, you can go ahead and pick up the paper. This week, it is a, do- it is a review of two documentaries from Mark Cousins. Uh, one is The Story of Film. The other one is The Storms of Jeremy Thomas. I, I recommend them both very highly. If you want to see something new in theaters, uh, Dumb Money, which is the based on the real story of Robin Hood and the GameStop meme stock craze of 2020-2021 is out this weekend. It stars a slew of actors. It is not good. Um, If you want to know why, you can find about that at michaeljcinema.com or you can find years worth of good movie reviews, streaming recommendations, film festival coverage, interview with the filmmakers, some of whom are striking right now. All of that is at michaeljcinema.com. 